0: Welcome everyone. Today's show is about the incredible evolution of fashion and beauty brands. And to help me to discuss this topic is Jill Manoff. Jill is the editor-in-chief of Glossy and Glossy is a new media brand itself exploring the evolution of fashion and beauty through the lens of digital and technology, which I absolutely love. Jill, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, this is such a cool concept, you know, to have a magazine that's really looking at the lens of digital and technology through a specific industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how Glossy came to be?
1: Sure. I've kind of been all over the place, and it's amazing that I landed here. It's kind of, when you look back on your career it's kind of like okay all roads did lead here but I (laughs) definitely have more of a consumer facing background in terms of the editorial content that I worked with for a long time so I I come from St. Louis Missouri the Midwest Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I was actually the fashion editor of a luxury lifestyle publication called Alive which was local and honestly it was it sounds hokey because you know Midwest and all. Sorry, yes. everyone.
0: <laughs> no, I'm from the Midwest, too. I know what you mean.
1: <laughs> yes. You get, like, I don't know, a bad reputation, but it, it was beautiful, and it's still out there, and it's still gorgeous, but I was there, and I was doing um, a lot of freelance styling for some of the the local companies like Anheuser-Busch and um, Brown Shoe, which is now Calaris, and Baker Shoes at the time, um, so doing just, you know, my fashion thing, and eventually just got burnt out on the styling aspect and wanted to concentrate on writing so bounced around a bit. I was at um, Sears Holdings as the editor-in-chief actually of um, Sears Style so I was there for maybe three years, bounced to San Francisco where I was the editor of Glam.com under Mode Media um, and there, you know, we, fa- we focused on fashion and beauty and I worked with a pool Of writers from around the country and kind of worked as a curator and editor and just had a blast there. And that was the job right before Glossy's. So for what Glossy's background, um, we are under the DigiDay Media umbrella. DigiDay has been around for a good, I want to say 11 years now, maybe nearing 12. Mm-hmm. And they definitely, um, online publication, um, beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful site, great reporting. They look at the um, media marketing, now retail as well. And their focus is really, um, again, the evolution of the space, where it's going, how digital and technology are transforming those industries. So one of our re- the reporters, Hillary Milnes, was one of the founding members of Glossy. And I always say that Glossy was inspired by her work just because she was focusing a lot on fashion and beauty on the retail side of things and she and our CEO Nick Breeze and Brian Morrissey our president really saw um, that opportunity um, and that shift and the fact that nobody was covering it in kind of Digitize angle or their take on on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Nobody was looking at it from a critical angle. Nobody was um, really looking at the business side of things, where it's going, and again, how digital and technology are, are really changing things. So, um, launched the Gloss, glossy launched this individual publication um, in May of 2016, and I joined that November. So, we're about two and a half years in. And growing, growing, <laughs> we've added beauty since I came on board, um, which has definitely blown up and became um, one of our main categories. We hired a beauty editor this year for the first time, also launched a beauty-specific podcast, beauty events. Um, so we're giving equal weight to fashion and beauty these days, and it's going
0: going really well. That's, that's <laughs> a great story, and, and I like how the the heart of the brand is really around business and technology and then the industry focus as opposed to the broader industry focus with kind of a nod to tech. I think that makes a big difference in the the amount of signal that comes through. And and it also sounds like I, I just want to call out before you mentioned reports and a lot of times people on this show think about reports as oh it's something I created in Tableau. No what you're talking about <laughs> is research reports right? Correct, we're
1: doing that more and more. We have quarterly reports that are part of our Glossy Plus subscription program which launched in the summer. Um, so we moved to subscription, again it's called Glossy Plus and what that is is you get, um, we do have like a paywall now so you get your four free free stories a month um, but you also, with this, the subscription you get unlimited content and you get a bunch of exclusives so one of those exclusives is the quarterly reports. Um, We just released the wellness report at our last event, the Beauty and Wellness Summit. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very thorough. We survey our readers and full of in-depth information on where insiders think the industry is headed. So we looked at it from a beauty standpoint. We looked at the wellness side of things, how they're intersecting, and came out with this robust report. And um, some other things that we do with Glossy Plus are just exclusives like a weekly newsletter which has it's basically a couple of stories in one in one newsletter and we do these slack chats where we have um insiders we had Ulrich jerome the ceo of matches fashion and they just come on slack our members can log on and really it's kind of ask me anything Mm -hmm. sessions so we have a lot of fun with that and we do these um, exclusive events as well for the members where um, we'll do live podcasts. We just had one with the creative director of Vince at their Soho store, and we also had a fireside chat with Rebecca Minkoff at her Soho location. So yeah. um, a lot of fun things we're exploring. It's definitely um, <laughs> a job in itself to kind of keep the constant programming, but it's really fun and challenging, and it's a way for us to connect. I always say we have Glossy super mm-hmm. fans and it's a way for us to kind of give them more and like we'll probably talk about today, but kind of meet that customer where they are and have opportunities to connect and build relationships. Um, that's really important to us oh, that's, as well. That's
0: fantastic, and I, I can tell everyone listening that it is very high quality content. It's a lot of content coming out very fast, but it's also just really high signal. And I, I love the the content that you offer. Now, at the end of our show, will you have a like a little subscription treat or something for our, our folks? I do. You just wait okay, see. Okay, <laughs> great, great. We will add that in at the end. Fantastic. So let's dive right into here. the topic a little bit. Um So I, I want to just give a nod back to my my Midwestern roots and your Midwestern roots, and say, you know, why should I really care, or why should I find it interesting about how fashion and beauty? are evolving. So maybe my company is located in a part of the US that's just not that into fashion, or really isn't that technically savvy. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's nice what you wear to work, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all of my life. What is it about fashion and beauty that's so interesting about how these brands are evolving?
1: Yeah, I like to say, always bring it a step back, because when we say technology and digital, a lot of those visions of AR and VR and these over-the-top activations and really just high-tech things, a lot of it, it's digital and technology is affecting everything. And we all shop and we all wear clothes and we all, <laughs> you know, if it's not beauty, it's, not—it's you know, at least toiletries, and we, we touch on kind of um, body care and things like that. But um, our take on it is, The shift in power. And so I just did a story today looking at how digitally native brands are changing the American mall. I mean, we all go to the mall. So these DTC brands are kind of borrowing from what they're doing. They're really doing it right. They're connecting with customers. They are able to cut costs because they're doing everything directly. And right now, one of the mall developers I talked to was calling like the Warby Parkers of the world gold for real, in real estate and that every mall is trying to attract these buzzy direct-to-consumer brands. And we cover direct-to-consumer brands as part of how digital is affecting the retail landscape. Back in the day, you know, there was no chance for a brand to launch online or launch on Instagram. And that's happening now. And so it's affecting everything. And we look at the shift in power. We look at globalization of brands. We're looking at how distribution has changed and that's all wrapped up in digital and technology. We all shop on Amazon. We know the changing customer expectations. We know next day is normal. We know um, we want everything to be convenient. So I think you may not know that the way fashion and beauty are changing, that that has an effect on you, but it's really has an effect on everybody. Luxury is becoming more inclusive because they're going to get backlash on Instagram <laughs> if they're leaving people out. They're, they're not, if they don't have their e-commerce site up and running, um, they're going to miss out on sales. So they're moving into digital. Everyone's moving digital.
0: Got it. When we talk about that shift of power, I think what I'm hearing you say is that it used to be that brands would be begging to get into the mall. But now the mall is begging for certain DTC brands because of the buzziness, their, um, their digitally native attractiveness. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. And we also say, like I mentioned, luxury, like the shift in power. It used to be these luxury players had all the power, really. They presented collections at New York Fashion Week and Paris Fashion Week, and they determined the trends of the season. Now the shift in power, a lot of this is wrapped up in Instagram and social media. We're seeing these influencers uh, strutting their stuff coming out. They're just a lot of them are coming out with their own brands, but they're determining the trends of the moment. They're determining what's hot right now. And, you know, streetwear is moving in and that's really, you know, picking up a lot of steam and becoming even more so than these luxury traditional fashion houses. So that's definitely a shift that we're seeing. Um, And Instagram is, like I said, is definitely wrapped up in everything in terms of forcing brands to be more sustainable. It's forcing brands to be more inclusive and transparent and it's just the more opportunity there is for people to connect with brands through social media I feel like the more we're going to see this shift and this is fascinating I could go on and on about the shift because as we know Yeah, as we know, like it's happening, like it's no longer print magazines or monthly publications. I mean, who has time to wait a month for the next new thing? It's daily on social media. So that's definitely part of the shift as well.
0: Just to wrap on that a little bit, when you talk about the luxury players that previously had a lot of power to determine trends, but now it's the influencers, is, is it the role of the brand to be more of an let's say a curator and an echo chamber for, or maybe echo chamber isn't the right word, but a curator for the right influencers and then where it matches what they want their brand to be, whether it's sustainable, inclusive, or other things, then they pick that up and push it out as part of the inspiration behind what they offer. Is that fair? I think that's
1: fair. Definitely, definitely. They're looking to influencers, yeah, Yeah, rather than vice versa, I, I, we definitely see that, and it's not across the board. There are definitely brands that are that are innovating. I think that I could go on for hours just talking about the wonder that is Gucci right now, and you know Alessandro Michele and all of the. He is actually like the face of the brand, and he's active on social media, and it's kind of a new way that the brand is working and proving successful. I think that's like one in a million story, but um, that is one brand that's doing it right. And, you know, they're getting recognized for being, you know, the most active or digitally savvy luxury brand. And that's what you have to do right now in order to kind of make an impact or, you know, be part of the, the influential mix, I guess.
0: Well, let's dive into some of those examples. So you are saying that Gucci is the most digitally savvy luxury brand. Is it the way that they use social media that is making them so digitally savvy? What is it that, that they do that's different?
1: Yes. I mean, if you can believe it, we talk about this all the time. Some luxury brands still only selling you know, 2% of their sales are happening online, which today sales in general in fashion are, are not as high as you would think, but 2% is so, so low. Gucci, definitely double digits, definitely going you know all in in terms of e-commerce. They're not saying, this isn't us. Um, we don't want to scare away our our loyal customers that we've had for decades. They're not scared of going there because they're introducing newness and freshness constantly. I just feel like going all in is the differentiator um, and not worrying about an old way of doing things. (laughs) It's shocking that brands are still just now introducing e-commerce sites or still going in with maybe just their accessories or just a selection. Like if you go on a, a brand's website, You go there rather than maybe a marketplace because you expect to see the full collection and you expect to be able to um, pick and choose what you want maybe from whatever, if it's not a runway show, the collection. I think that that should be (laughs) standard at this point, but
0: no, 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 no. Which is why do you think they're also connecting or they're they're seeking to connect directly with the consumer in a more transparent way when uh, Gucci yeah. is reaching out and they're you know they're getting that give and take in conversation?
1: Absolutely everybody wants that millennial younger consumer customer and they're doing things like collaborating with young artists and really just showing they're not stuffy like they have, a little bit of an edge they can um, appeal to a younger customer but yes like I said um, the creative director Alessandro who has his own Instagram account and he is filming behind the scenes and that's going live on his stories all the time and he he's an active poster and then also the brand itself. Yeah, you can see behind the scenes. It's kind of like behind the curtain, like they're opening it up. Why not? Yeah, it's amazing. And I love following it. And it just makes you a bigger fan of the brand for sure. It
0: so does. And and I'll give you a similar example, because I was just in New York, and we went to see the Rockettes, which is, you know, kind of like one of those touristy things that you sometimes do, but it came with a backstage tour. And one of the things that was so nice about that is, yeah, you see the show and the show is a lot of flash and it's very entertaining and they're doing some really innovative things by using like all the wall space so it's totally immersive and they're using drones and all kinds of stuff so there's all this flash but then you go behind the scenes and when you go behind the scenes you get the sense of the soul of the brand and you see all of this art deco um, architecture, and you hear the stories about how they built Radio City Music Hall in the first place, and the goals that they had for it. And you see these pictures of all these artists that have appeared over the ages, and how their um, what their experience was at at Radio City Music Hall. And it, it makes you feel so much closer to the brand that it's not just a, a superficial like oh I'm going to check the box and yeah we've gone to Radio City Music Hall now. I think about it as wow I know there's an art deco apartment in Radio City Music right. Hall I understand a little <laughs> bit more about the evolution of the Rockette costumes and what it takes to be so physical as a Rockette. Uh, yeah. and and that is a real driver that transparency really drives loyalty.
1: Yes, you're not kidding. That's so cool by the way. I want to I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely. But yeah, I feel I feel like the more connection the more you, you get to know about the brand, the more you're curious, the more you feel connected, you have that relationship, and you know next season when everyone's rolling out their collections, you want to see that brand because you
0: feel like you know it um, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about others. Um, who else have you seen that's doing interesting things in this space?
1: Everybody in the beauty space points to it's like the benchmark goal. If I I don't want to be a cliche, but obviously Glossier and they're doing something right. It's like every beauty brand they may not say it, but they want to be Glossier. <laughs> 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 but honestly, what they did they say that they built their brand on social media and what they've built relationships with customers is uh, and with their followers is. They, you know, they crowdsource. They they seek out their followers' opinions when they're developing new product. They kind of send it to them ahead of time and have them test it out. They give them this exclusive access to product, and you hear from them. And from um, we've heard time and time again that their their follower feels connected, feels loyal, um, and they're just doing it right. They really eased into the market with like one or two products, and are really thoughtful about every product they roll out. Um, which is something new. Like we haven't seen that. We see these kind of 40 item collections where it's like they want to hit the market in this big boom and they really eased into it and have been very thoughtful. And um, again, that, that community element that's been the secret of their success as I see it for sure
0: that's really interesting the the difference between dumping a whole lot of products on the market versus creating a uh, almost a tribal connection and using that to continually drive the placement of the products and the the type of product that you roll out and also just for people who don't know Glossier could you talk a little bit about the kind of products that they sell
1: Yes, I believe they launched with, um, (laughs) I think it was called Boy Brow. It's um, like an eyebrow, almost like a gel. But the fact of the matter is that it emerged from an online publication called Into the Gloss. And it was, uh, I don't know if this was their content exclusively, but kind of a highlight of the content was that they would go into the bathrooms of kind of influential uh, kind of fashion, beauty, world insiders uh, or adjacent folks, people that are you'd be more curious about kind of their day-to-day they'd go into their bathroom into their kind of medicine cabinet into their makeup bag and kind of look at kind of what they're using explore, explore their daily routine i guess kind of get ready with me routine um, and look at the products that they're using now the founder emily weiss um, kind of branched off developed this brand and honestly it's been going strong ever since growing growing they've rolled out more product a lot of it has to do with skincare. Their big theme is skincare first. So while while it's makeup, it's skincare first. We hear that a lot in the K beauty space, um, and they've really kind of. I don't know, it's almost created a movement, this natural look, um, no makeup, makeup, you hear that a lot. um, And I feel like they were definitely instrumental in that trend.
0: Yeah, that that is a a lovely trend. I personally love that trend, especially growing up in the 80s. I look back at those movies like Working Girl and stuff, and you can practically see the blush just stand off the cheekbones because it's so heavy. So totally a fan.
1: Yes, it's very refreshing, definitely, to have this kind of, let's all lighten up a bit. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. (laughs) What about others in the space? Do you have another one that might be maybe a traditional brand that's shifting? Or I guess Gucci kind of falls into that mark.
1: Gucci for sure. And and every kind of department store. We talk about them a lot on Glossy. The fact that, like, I, it's just top of mind right now because we just did a story about it, but the, like, Bloomingdale's and the Barney's of the world, they're really in the beauty department specifically. Oh, shoot. Is it Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom? Ah! Anyway, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is um, these department stores, like, they are actively working with their millennials in-house to really help steer a strategy, which is interesting. So on the beauty side, they're having them kind of, maybe they're not directly in the beauty department, but they're kind of actively taking down those barriers in-house, those silos and saying, you know, what products are you using? Um, Help us to determine the next brand that we kind of scoop up for the beauty department. So it's kind of thinking differently and saying, you know, buyers have always worked with brands this way. What can we do differently to both kind of keep brands excited as they all move to direct to consumer and also kind of use what we've got in terms of our talent? Um, And they may not be
0: exclusive to this to this department, but they can definitely have something to contribute. So let me make sure I understand that. So uh, traditional department stores, which are heavily under fire, are dying to attract more millennials for obvious reasons. You know, they want the fresh blood, they want the the brands, their own brands to continue, and they feel like they need to update. So they work with millennials in-house to help steer their strategy, but it's almost as if they're using it like a focus group or like a survey group to help them guide what products they should be offering. Is that right? That's right. And something else we're seeing is also um, they are like the malls,
1: like I mentioned, they, they're changing their their kind of ways in terms of making their stores more desirable for these emerging direct-to-consumer brands. And so A lot of brands and um, retailers have told me that um, the retailers are kind of being more flexible. They used to say, you know, this is the drop date. This is when your spring collection will hit the floor. But now they're saying you know, we're going to work with you. We like the drop model. That's exciting for consumers. Um, When will new products at the store rather than designating it, you know? So it's being more, yeah, it's being more flexible as far as scheduling and how they're working with brands. Now, you know, they're not making the rules. They're letting brands do their thing these brands are buzzy and they're hot for a reason let's let them kind of shine in our store be able to tell their own story rather than us tell the story for them um, and so really you know becoming flexible both in in-house like we talked about in the beauty side uh-huh. and kind of who's working with what but also in terms of how they're working with brands, because yeah. brands are pulling out and they want to work directly with consumers but again for the most part, a lot of brands still want to work with retailers just because they cannot support that physical footprint at this point. So A lot of the young brands, so they still do need these department stores for the most part.
0: Yeah, they need it for the distribution. But I, I hear you and it seems like you know, there's an interesting story forming here where the, the brands are are curating or reaching out to the influencers and and picking up that really strong direct consumer connection, which, you know, hence the DTC brands, when they get it right, then their brands escalate and they become a buzzy brand and they, they you know, their sales jump. And then the department stores want the guilt by association connection <laughs> in a positive <laughs> way. And yes. so they pull the brand in, which is uh, one, helping the department store look a little more modern because they're connected with this buzzy brand. But it's also um, when you said that they're letting the brands shine and they're not dictating, but they're more listening. I think they're also channeling that consumer Information in a, a faster, uh, more direct fashion via the brand. So everything's kind of moving hand over hand where the customer is so empowered, the brand is picking up and echoing that power, and then the department store is distributing that power.
1: Absolutely. And it's so funny because everybody is kind of seeing what's working. And we always talk about, you know, as direct to consumer brands move into these stores and as these labels are going to no longer apply. Like, obviously, as they move into stores, they're not direct to consumer brands. And it's kind of like a brand is a brand is a brand. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all, you know, brands are starting to all look the same. But it's a good thing because, again, yeah, those rules aren't applying. Um, It's kind of more, you know, free flow. Let's figure out what's working, what's working for consumers. And um, kind of, yeah, remain nimble. I think it's the
0: word of the day. Right, right. Remaining nimble, but also really acknowledging that consumer power. In Pete Fader's Customer Centricity book, he talks about Nordstrom taking a set of tires back at the store. And on one hand, you'd be like, wow, this is amazing customer service. And that is true because they don't sell tires. But (laughs) on the other hand... It's it's completely boneheaded when you look at it from the customer value point of view, uh, you know. And th- this is the rub of the debate: is you know, where does it switch? Where you know that person who returned the tires might also be a high value customer. And sure, I'll take your tires back because you generate a lot of revenue for our company, and we really want to treat you well. Nordstrom doesn't make that distinction typically; they treat everyone well, which is part of their brand value. But Pete uses it as an example of where uh, maybe a, a brand that was up and coming or a brand that needed to be more surgical might not take the tires back because it's not a direct fit to what their high value customers want or would do. So Nordstrom is always a tricky example for us because they're shifting in the digital age, but they still have this amazing like kid glove service that's part of their brand.
1: It really is amazing, and yeah, you're right, the young players can't keep up, so it's kind of like the Giants are getting <laughs> larger because, you know, they're able to to kind of meet these new demands, but man, I definitely have a, a confession that <laughs> I used to be a stylist, and I would be buying and returning clothes all, all the time, and I... I knew that trick. I knew Nordstrom took everything, everything back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you still love Nordstrom, right?
1: (laughs) Nordstrom's the go-to for sure.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. That's funny. So, okay. So let's say that, you know, maybe my brand is not um, as hot as the current DTC brands. What would you recommend that I do to make my brand more like the hot DTC brands? Um, What should I think about first, second, third? and if I wanted to be a little bit more modern? It's all about building that connection with customers, and I think that it's
1: it's doing it in more of like a hands-on way and less of a kind of... Like too thoughtful or too uh, like regimented in how how you respond. It's kind of being active on social media and kind of putting out questions and having building that relationship where you can. But the words obviously transparency, like we talked about, being authentic. Um, having that consistent voice across channels and um, kind of inclusivity as well. On the beauty side of things, like we talk a lot about there's a new requirement that every brand needs to have, you know, a 40 shades of foundation. And um, <laughs> it's a new, like, if you're not, then it's everyone says you're not being inclusive. You're not catering to this community. And so it's a lot of pressure. And like on the same lines of Nordstrom, like the young players, maybe they're not equipped to come out with 40 shades and get those 40 shades on the floor at, at every store they're selling. And it just becomes really costly and crazy. So anyway, there's pressure from consumers to really think inclusivity in terms. If you're a fashion brand, to kind of offer every size. So anyway, I think it's just you know maybe you're not there yet, but it's kind of moving towards a more inclusive front, even on the sustainability side. If you're not there, we're aware of our shortcomings, but maybe by 2020, this is what we want to do, and just kind of being authentic and open in in the fact that you're making improvements towards these values these customer values that are really um customers able to be more vocal about these days so inclusivity sustainability and just yeah transparency and just saying all of our customers are the same we're not going to give special treatment because you are a high spending customer so just like being like open available breaking down barriers and just showing that you are uh, working, you you care about their values.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is where it gets tricky. And I, I think to go back to what you said earlier about glossier rolling out just a few products at a time, you know, if that young player is not equipped to do 40 shades, I think the the connection to the customer and listening to who they are and what they want, as well as connecting it to the bottom line of the company. So looking at what the high value customers do, how does that help you keep in stay in business for the next day, allows them to triangulate perhaps a little bit of, okay, maybe I don't want to do 40 shades, but I do want to be inclusive. So if I roll out along the lines of people who really want to bond with my brand and people who are, are spending with my brand, and I'm and I, add those things together, then maybe I can target the right products to push and in order to continually grow my footprint and please the people who have raised their hand and said, yeah, I really like what you're doing. So maybe that can be a more surgical way for the young players to try to go after that inclusivity and transparency and authenticity without breaking the bank and trying to be all things to all people.
1: Exactly. Just like show you, you list, you're
0: you listening. We
1: hear you. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's so, so important.
0: Agree. Yeah. Now, if people want to sign up for Glossy or they want to connect to one of the events or get a research paper, how would they get in touch with Glossy? How would they get in touch with you?
1: Oh, thank you. Um, You can definitely anytime go to Glossy.co. Um, we have new content rolling out every day. Definitely, you can sign up for our newsletter where you get the day's um, news stories. There's a place where you can just enter your email address on the website on the homepage. Can I just
0: say, I get this and I love it?
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I have an amazing team. Hi, Danny, Priya, and Emma. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I have an amazing team. And then we um, also for Glossy Plus, um, you can just, just go to glossy.co slash plus and Um, We talked about that offer so you can enter holiday 25 in the section where it asks for a promotion code and you can get 25% off the subscription for the year. So that's definitely available and you can email me anytime with pitches or ideas or
0: just say hi at
1: jill at glossy.co.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I have to ask, is the cost for Glossy Plus going to go up in the new year so that it might make sense for me to sign up right now and use that promotion code?
1: (laughs) I would say I think the code is good till the end of the year and it will not go up. No, no, no. Good, good. And
0: do you also have events coming up?
1: Yes, thank you for mentioning it. So, yeah, events are definitely a large part of what we do. We have five or six every year, including um, three-day summits and one-day forums. The forums take place in New York. And our next one is February 28th. Again, it's a one-day event, and the focus is modern marketing. So we'll be we looking at marketing strategies, the the latest and greatest, what what brands are trying to do beyond, you know, the, the typical traditional print campaigns and commercials. So what are we doing now? Some of them are growing back and doing they're finding radio actually works for them or they're huh. advertising increasingly advertising on the subway why are they doing that so looking at modern marketing strategies so
0: we'll do a deep dive with fashion and beauty brands fantastic well Jill this has been really a, a wonderful episode and uh, as always links to everything we discussed are at ambition slash podcast and we'll also mention that promo code there so in case you missed it during the show you can always pull it up in the show notes Jill thank you for joining us today. Such a pleasure.
1: Allison, thank you. This was so much fun.
0: (laughs) Remember, everyone, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It's not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Allison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO, which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text AMBITION DATA, one word, to 31996. And after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal. Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.